morning. Reading today from 1 Peter 1, 1 through 5, page 857 in your pew Bible, way towards the back. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise to the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Thank you, Craig. Join me in prayer as we begin a new series in 1 Peter. So keep your Bibles open to those verses. We're going to be looking at those in a moment. Let's pray. Lord, we're excited about this new book that we're studying. We're thankful, God, that you've included this in your word for us to understand a little bit more about suffering, to understand a little bit more about hope and forever and, and all these themes that run through this book. I pray, God, that, that we, would, we would grab a hold of what it is you want us to throughout this study. Refine us, renew us, change us from the inside out, Lord. May there be transformation in our lives as a result of going through this book guide us this morning toward that goal of our being more like your son, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen. You can't live without it, and when you have it, you want it to be real and reliable. You look up to people who are full of it, and you pity people who have none. No one wants to be without it. What am I talking about? Hope. Hope. Those are words written by Paul Tripp, from whom I borrow the title of the sermon for this morning, from a chapter in his book titled Forever. See, what is true of all mankind is a desire to hook your hope into something. Where there's hope, there's a reason to go on. We, we all want something to look forward to. Lucy and Linus were sitting in front of the television set when Lucy said to Linus, go get me a glass of water. Linus looked surprised and said, why should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. 
Well, on your 75th birthday, Lucy promised, I'll bake you a cake. And Linus got up, headed to the kitchen and said, life's more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. That worked for him. We all attach ourselves to some kind of hope. In the course of a day, think about all the things you hope for. You hope that the report from the lab work isn't too serious. You hope you can run into the store quickly and leave. You hope the traffic doesn't make you late for your appointments. You hope your friend will understand why you couldn't make it to his party. You hope that you can work through the issues in your marriage. You hope that your parents understand about the scratch on the car. You hope your your speech before the class is well received. You hope my sermon won't go on too long. (laughs) Dream on. Hope does spring eternal, you know. But it's critical that we attach ourselves to the right kind of hope. And that brings us to the book of 1 Peter. Our theme for the series is living life on purpose. It's about intentional living. It's all about living with forever in view. As a matter of fact, hope can't live without forever. All other hope has a shelf life and will eventually die. Before we jump into this passage that was just read, it's necessary that I give you two overall principles that will see us through this uh, book of 1 Peter. The first principle is God's primary concern for us is our holiness. God's primary concern for us is our holiness. Now, while that may seem obvious, I mention it because many have shrunk Christianity down to a nice little package of promises that if opened will make us feel better. But is God's ultimate goal for us happiness? Well, as we make our way through this book, we're going to be confronted with the need for the pursuit of holiness in our lives. There's a second principle that guides us in our study in 1 Peter, and that is suffering is never an excuse for ungodly choices. Suffering is never an excuse for ungodly choices. And Peter, with a pastor's heart, writes to encourage some troubled Christians living in an anti-Christian society. They worked for overbearing bosses. Some were under great stress as they lived with unbelieving spouses. Some faced ridicule for the godly stand that they took. Pastorally, Peter writes to a flock of Christians who are undergoing suffering and trials and difficulties of all kinds. He even suggests that their suffering will get worse. But you never hear Peter saying, you don't have to be like Jesus in the tough times. We won't hear Peter tell us, I know times are trying, so you're off the hook and doing what is right. You won't say that. He speaks to the fact that we are to obey not because our life is easy, but because we have hope. And as we'll see in this letter, we are to submit to those in authority over us, not because our bosses are as they should be, but because we live in hope. The only way we can have the kind of marriage that God has called us to is if our hope is in the right hands. 
It is a hope that enables us to endure present sufferings. It is hope that changes the way we live. All that Peter writes in this letter is wrapped around hope. And so my prayer for this study is that we will live on purpose, which can only come as we live for something more than the here and now. It can only come as we connect our hope to eternity, to forever. And folks, we are hope rich. We are hope rich. That is, if we know Christ and we're connected to him, that is when our hope is connected to forever. And hope's the main subject for this morning that really gets us started as we go into this book. Now, there's four questions as we look at this passage. There are four questions I want to pursue with you from today's passage. Four questions. First of all, first question, I'm going to give you all four right now. First question is, why aren't we satisfied here? Secondly, what have we been given? Thirdly, what are we guaranteed? And fourthly, how are we guarded? Why aren't we satisfied here? What have we been given? What are we guaranteed? And how are we guarded? First of all, why aren't we satisfied here? Look in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Look how he addresses them in verse 1. Follow along as I read again, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle, set apart uh, for Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now notice here, Peter addresses them as the elect. Now, I know all kinds of thoughts begin to race through your mind as you hear that word. Don't be threatened by the word elect. Find great solace in that truth. The word elect is not intended to cause questions and doubts about your faith. Peter uses this word to encourage his brothers and sisters in Christ who are undergoing much suffering, and he reminds them to the elect. Now, to add to that, he speaks to them as the chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, that's a loaded statement. I don't have time to really pick that apart. But in essence, he says to them, Since God in his grace has chosen you, be encouraged and knowing that the trials of life are all part of God's purposes for your life. That's what he's saying right out of the get-go. Right at the outset, the word to these scattered and somewhat battered believers is the one who called you is faithful to complete the work in you. The one who has called you desires that you live out the riches of your salvation. He directs them to think beyond the here and now and focus on the eternal glory that is to come. And so it's very appropriate. He speaks of them as, notice here, strangers, strangers in the world. This theme is going to come up again later in 1 Peter. Probably spend more time on it then. But Peter reminds his suffering readers that this is not their home. They are being mistreated and they don't fit into this world because their citizenship is somewhere else. Believers, you are strangers in this world. You are. 
Now, some translate the word strangers as exiles. Very fitting, as we've just finished up with the book of Daniel. Just as Daniel was carried off into exile and lived in a foreign land, we too live on foreign soil, for our home is in heaven. Our hope is on forever. And since that is true, there's a strangeness that we should feel as we move about in this world. Now, my greater concern, my greater concern is that the church today doesn't feel like strangers at all. We fit in so well that there are no no opportunities for others to come up to us and say, what is the hope that lies within you? We are to be strangers in this world. It's been said this way, the world is a bridge The wise will pass over it, but he will not build his house upon it. Oh, we keep trying to build our life on the things of this world, don't we? And we become hope junkies, as one writer called it. Hope junkies. You you get this little buzz for for a bit, and and then it goes away. And so then you you, you get another fix from something else you attach your hope to, and and, and that goes away. And then then you attach your hope to something else, and, and that goes away. And around and around and around we go. Oh, the the new diet, uh, the new toy, uh, the new marriage, the new church, the new house, the new store at the mall. And so we we just bounce from from hope to hope to hope to hope. Why aren't we ever satisfied? Well, as the often quoted C.S. Lewis so aptly put it, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Bingo. Hope can't live without forever. I ask you, is your hope in something that can never deliver? Is your hope in the hands of imperfect and finite people? Is is your reason for getting up in the morning for something much bigger than inanimate objects, the the paycheck at the end of your week, something beyond this broken world, you're getting up in the morning living for something far greater than horizontal hope, is the hope that gets you up in the morning connected to forever. We allow God to lift you up to see beyond the here and now to what is eternal. It is that hope that can see us beyond and through any of the tough things we face in life. And because of that, we can have as our ringing theme, no matter what we're going through in life, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as he says here in verse 3. Which leads us to our second question. What have we been given? What have we been given? Verse 3, Peter breaks out in praise to God. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth. What have we been given? New birth. How is this new birth given to us? By his mercy. And Peter wasn't satisfied with just saying mercy, but he added great mercy. He means abundant mercy. Our new birth is centered on the great, abundant mercy of God. 
how convinced of this are you? Do you sometimes entertain this notion that there is something good in you that won God's favor? Do you secretly think God saw something in me that he didn't see in some other neighbors around me and other people I work with. God saw something in me that caused him to move toward me in love. That's heresy. But yet the longer we walk with God, are we in danger of starting to feel a little smug and a little self-righteous, forgetting that we were in need of God's mercy as much as the man on death row? We have been given new birth, which came to us because of God's great mercy. We must never forget that. If I forget it, then I don't look at other people in mercy. I look at what it is they deserve. God is the source of our new birth. Now, how do you know you have that new birth? Well, how do you know you were physically born? Now, if I ask you, how do you know you're born? I doubt you would say, I'll tell you what, let me show you. I'll go get my birth certificate. See, it says right here, I was born. See it? (laughs) I doubt you'd say, no, no, I was born because there were witnesses that saw my mom pregnant and then later saw me in her arms. That's how you know I'm born. No, your simple answer would be, I know I was born because I'm here. I'm alive today. Look at me. You don't need any more proof than that. How do you know you're born again? Oh, you might refer to a time when you you signed a card or you raised your hand or you went forward. That's fine, I suppose. But I hope you would also say, I know that I'm born again because I am alive to God. Look at my life. It is God's intention that you say with certainty, I know that I'm spiritually born because of my life today. And if you watch me, you'll see that I'm born again. And because of that new birth, we have a new focus. We have a purpose in getting up in the morning. Why do you get up in the morning? One person quipped, well, someone has to make the coffee. (laughs) I hope it's bigger than that. We've been delivered from the realm of hopelessness. That's why we get up. In the middle of whatever we face in life and whatever we're going through, God is present there. That's why we get up. We have been given new birth, and that means we're God's child. That's a reason to get up and live on purpose. We're alive. There was this cartoon that showed an egg standing on end. And suddenly the egg started to wobble back and forth, side to side. And a crack began to encircle the top half of the egg. You then see the egg burst open and a baby chick poke his head upward. The baby chick kind of blinks at his new surroundings and then exclaims, I knew there must be more to life. (laughs) I like that. Loved ones, you have been given New life. At that moment of salvation, your life burst open. 
And just as it would be absurd to consider the baby chick wanting to return to his old surroundings confined in an egg, it is absurd to think that one given new birth would want to return to his old way of life. Let's not lose the wonder of our salvation. There just might be more to life than what you're experiencing. Maybe we need to blink a little bit and go, wow! I get to live for the Lord today. I've been given new birth. There's more. There's more. If that is, you can almost say, we're done. We're not. Hang in there. Rest of verse 3, beginning of verse 4, answers our third question. What are we guaranteed? What are we guaranteed? Follow along as I read, picking it up in the middle of verse 3. It says, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Do you see it there? We are guaranteed two things. We've been brought into two realities. First of all, believer, you've been brought into a living hope. Not just a hope, but a living hope. What is a living hope? Well, if you take notes, you might want to write this down. Ready? A living hope is a hope. A living hope is a hope that's not dead. <laughs> Profound, huh? You got your money's worth. Let's think on this some more. It is a living hope because it is sure as Christ is alive. Christ is triumphant over death. He is our present help. His presence is with us right now as sure as you're sitting there right in your seats. A living hope ought to have some effect on us. A living hope produces change. It's not dead. A living hope is not dependent on outward circumstances. Now, let's just make sure we're on the same page here. When we speak of hope, hope is more than wishful thinking. It's not hope like the train that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think again. That's not the hope we're talking about. It's not an uncertain desire like, I hope the Patriots win the Super Bowl this year. I can't even throw Red Sox in there this year. You know, I'll go Patriots. But you see, hope is more than crossing our fingers. It is a confident expectation and full assurance that God will do exactly what he says he will do. What are we guaranteed? Believer, you've been given a living hope. You're guaranteed that. Your hope in God has life in it and can bring life to your weary soul. Living hope is hope that has resurrection power. What does that mean? That means you are equipped with power to love when you don't even feel like it. It means you are equipped with power to respond kindly to someone who is harsh with you. You are equipped with power to do what you otherwise could not do. You have a living hope because the living Christ lives in you, empowering you to live as he did, even in difficult times. You can live triumphantly. You are guaranteed that. A living hope. Secondly, you are guaranteed an eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance. All those born again have an inheritance waiting for them. I read a true story of a man who was willed a beautiful southern home in Louisiana many years ago. 
However, the very night that the original owner died, the house caught fire and burned down, and there was no insurance. The beautiful home he was to inherit went up in smoke in an instant. That's how quickly the things we inherit in this world can be gone. Not so with our inheritance in heaven. It is incorruptible. What else do you have in your life that is incorruptible? What else do you have in your life that is imperishable, will never spoil, and is unfading? You are guaranteed an eternal inheritance. It will be there when you arrive. It is there waiting for you. And you know what? It's more than a mansion. It's more than streets of gold. It is a person, Jesus Christ, and life the way it was meant to be lived. Now, it's one thing knowing there's something waiting for us that will actually be there when we arrive. It's another matter completely believing that we will actually arrive there. (laughs) That leads us to the next question, our fourth question. How are we guarded? I mean, it's there for us. Okay, it's there. My tickets to this play, whatever, are there. Someone told me that it was there. But how do I make sure that I get there to pick those up? How are we guarded? Several years ago, Donna and I made reservations at a a motel in in North Conway, New Hampshire, for just the two of us. And we we drove into this parking lot, and and, and just the two of us. We were excited about this. There weren't going to be kids jumping all around us. It was when they were younger. This was great. This was a good time for us to get away. Drove in the parking lot to this motel, went inside to check in, had our bags ready to start this week off. Well, we got up there, and the clerk stated, in a matter-of-fact and rude way, that there were no reservations made under that name. I said, well, how about some other names? And that didn't work either. We had no room available. None. Now, I wish I could say that my first thought was Romans 8.28. <laughs> And that my response was, oh, that's okay. These things kind of happen. God bless you. Sad to admit, I began arguing with her and demanding that she make it right. After all, we drove all the way there. We're looking forward to some time away, and she blocked my goal. I put my hope in a flawed and finite being. They messed up our reservations. Listen, God won't mess up our reservations. Notice the words of assurance in verses 4 and 5. You brought into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you feel the impact of those words? Never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Shielded by God's power. Should we ever wonder about our reservations in heaven? Is it to be a a wait and see, I hope I make it, perspective? It is kept or we could say guarded by God. It's a military term speaking of protection. 
If your salvation can be lost, then in what way is your inheritance being kept in heaven for you? Your security as a believer rests in God's ability to keep you. The inheritance is kept, and so is the inheritor. A Scotsman, who was known to be economical, left instructions as to what he wanted engraved upon his tombstone. It was taken from this passage of Scripture. It all boiled down to one word that he wanted on his tombstone after he passed. It was the word kept. Kept. Do you believe God can keep you? This one word, kept or guarded, is powerful. It means that in the middle of your painful present situation, God will provide you with protective grace. It means that he's with you in the middle of your trouble. To know that you are guarded suggests that not only is your future guaranteed, but it means that God is protecting you in the here and now also, because he's going to get you there. And if forever is what lies ahead, then God must guard you between now and when you arrive to your permanent home. And knowing that God will lovingly keep you to the end, making good on every one of his promises, you can obey him with full confidence, knowing that you're always better off to obey than disobey. If you believe that God will do good for you in the future, then it'll help you in obeying him in the difficult times. Where are you pinning your hopes? Where are you pinning your hopes? I've had to ask myself that question. Where are you pinning your hopes? It's a crucial question. The answer to that determines your daily conduct and decisions. Those. I mean, you still will have difficult people. You'll still have skeptical neighbors and and trials in life and irritating circumstances and children that go their own way and and spouses that don't love you as you would want and and the many challenges of living out your faith in an anti-Christian world. Yes, you will have all of that, but in the midst of all of that, because we are God's child, we know that there's a purpose in it because he's guarding us, bringing us to the other side safely. We know that. I want to close with an illustration. I have, some, I have a puzzle here. I like doing puzzles. So does someone in the front row. When I dump all these pieces on this table, they're a bunch of upside-down, disconnected pieces. And you look at those pieces and, and, and you stare at those pieces and you go, how in the world am I ever going to put this together? How can I make any sense of all this? That's how you might feel. The situation you might be in right now, you're looking at all the pieces and you're going, they're all disconnected. None of this makes sense. How do I put it together? You stare at the pieces. Stop staring at the pieces. Look at the box top. Look at the box top. We get our eyes on all this mess. We say, how does it ever come together? It comes together. We've got to pin our hopes and look at the box top. This starts to make a little sense when we see it in eternity. Not all of it, but we can at least start putting some things together. And many Christians are stuck staring at the pieces. 
They don't even begin to try and put it together. Got to look at the box top. Forever. Eternity. Have that in view. That's where we need to pin all of our hopes. It helps with everything else. Folks, I speak to myself this morning. I can see the present stuff. I can see the pieces. I can stare at the pieces. I can get all tripped up over it, get overwhelmed with all the pieces. And then God reminds me, he's had to do it several times. I'm just not that bright. He reminds me, will you look at the box top? Will you look at tomorrow? Will you look at eternity? Will you have that in view? There's your hope. That and it makes sense. Then I can live my life on purpose. Then I can get up in the morning and be intentional. Live for that. And so no matter what you're going through, whether it's dark right now for you, listen, tomorrow is coming. Whatever you might be doing, tomorrow is coming. It's there. Because he's a God of hope. As Chris read earlier, our light and temporary trials, Scripture says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that, that far outweighs them all. Can you believe that? Fix our eyes. Fix your eyes, loved ones, on what is unseen, on the tomorrow and what is to come. Get your eyes there. We're going to have the praise team come up. They're going to sing a song. Really just, the words are going to be up there more for your benefit so you know the words. But I'm not asking you to sing this. I'm asking you to take it in. It's a song Jen wrote. It's a powerful song. The words are powerful. It reminds us to get our eyes on tomorrow, on tomorrow, and not just on the here and now. So just take it in, listen, meditate, pray, do what you need to do to take it in and get your eyes where they need to be. Lord, thank you for reminding us that there is a tomorrow because you're a God of hope. Forgive us for living for here and now. May we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Jesus Christ. Breathe hope into your people this morning, into my own soul. We get up in the morning because there's always tomorrow. And tomorrow's going to be a beautiful thing, especially that tomorrow of the other side, which there are no tears, no pain, no sorrow. And we rejoice in how life was really meant to be and rejoice with our Savior and with brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, in Jesus' name.